welcome to Tarot for the Wild Soul, deep conversations and tarot medicine for your highest evolution. I'm your host, Lindsay Mack. Thank you so much for being with me today. It's always such a joy to gather with everyone. I can feel you. I love all of you. Thank you for being here. So I am so excited to drop this interview on you, interview on you today. Yeah, I was right with Mary of Spirit Speak, who is incredible and who I love and admire. But um, before we get into that, I want to just spend a little time on the eclipse that's happening in two days. So we have a partial solar eclipse happening, a new moon solar eclipse in Cancer happening on July 12th. And this is a pretty big deal for a couple of different reasons. Some of you may be feeling this new moon solar eclipse, depending on what's going on in your chart. Some of you may not be. And regardless of whether or not you're feeling things um, based on placements, your chart, etc., what is very important to understand is that we're kind of working with this um, eclipse, like we want to think of it kind of like the energy of the tower, but reversed. So the tower is ruled by Mars and Mars, the fact that Mars is retrograde right now has a lot to do with this, but I'll That's not really worth getting into at this moment. We're shifting collectively the way we take action, the way we step forward, how we connect to our courage. And in order to do that, we have to, we have to really remember something for all that we say about Mars and how crazy it can be. And you know, whatever Mars is ruled. It rules the tower. That's what the tower is ruled by in the tarot. So we have to consider that any time we do work or any time something happens around a really big Mars station or placement or transit, things are going to crumble. And we have to be very intentional, curious, and grounded around getting clear about what that is. Because what's very important to know about the tower and about Mars is that it's not going to strip you of every, of anything that you're not meant to carry with you. It's usually something that we don't want to get rid of. It's usually the thing that the ego is the most clutchy about. And if we are wildly identified, and let's normalize here, I'm identified all the time. I'm not wildly identified all the time. But there have been times even less than a year ago where I was so sure something was in my highest and best. I wanted it and spirit wasn't quite answering me. And now I can look back and be like, wow, that was so out of alignment. But it, my ego, it was so important to my ego that I couldn't see it until I could see it. No shame. There's no shame in the ego. And sometimes we can be invited into that. But I encourage everybody who's listening to bow to that shame, but keep moving through it because that's the idea. Without the tension of the ego's invitation, our wants, our desires, 
from the inner child, from those spaces, they always have a root system of some kind of um, value. Like when my ego really wants something, it's usually a gateway to my inner little girl. She wants to be loved in some way, seen in some way, acknowledged in some way. And usually when I can get to the root of it, which takes Mars work, um, I can feed her and then the egoic desire goes away. So we are a nation, especially, I know people tune in from who do not live in America, but I'll speak that America is a nation that is essentially built on this, on this idea that, you know, I want it. So I'm going to have it and I'm not going to question it because if I don't get it, I won't be okay, or I'll throw a tantrum or whatever. But collectively, we're going through that too. It's not quite the same energy as what's going on in America as it is everywhere. But the foundation of this is that the new moon solar eclipse in Cancer, partial solar eclipse, is helping to uncover, is helping to strip off, slough off a layer that we might really feel on the surface and we might not feel at all. It could be happening completely subconsciously, depending on where you are at, depending on where your Mars, you know, um, depending on what's going on, where you have cancer, et cetera, where this new moon eclipse is hitting your chart. But something to bear in mind, regardless of how it's hitting your chart, is to remember this tower connection, to remember that this, um, this, eclipse exactly opposes Pluto. So we have to think about judgment too. We have to think about the judgment card. We are in a time of recognizing differences and divisions in order to come in to integration as a whole. It's not to whitewash it and it's not to say like, oh, division drives us further because that's not exactly true, actually. It's not. Um, division is very important in order to clean wounds. So it's very important if there's a question of a hand being held out or an arm being held out to say, hey, this is different from what I know. This is different from what you think. You're different. Let's please recognize that. All that, all those themes are happening within this eclipse and they're happening in the realm of the womb space, cancer. They're happening in the realm of the of literally the aspect of us that metaphorically feeds our little ones, that metaphorically um, is the softness that exists around our heart. So a new moon we know is a new beginning. That's a given. We know that this is the start of a lunar cycle. It's the start of a new time. We know that any time we have an eclipse, <clears throat> excuse me, whether it be solar or lunar, it's an opportunity to rapidly grow. It's an opportunity for rapid expansion. And it's an opportunity to move into a space where things are accelerated in a very short amount of time, which is exactly what the tower does so well. It's very, very good at that. Nothing we need to be afraid of because the tower is a shaking and a stripping only of aspects that do not serve us. They help us see sometimes very intensely where we've been identified really quickly so we can recenter and correct. So 
because this is ruled by cancer and because it's exactly opposing Pluto, the thing that we need to understand here is that we're shedding beliefs with this moon. We're letting go of things that have been holding us back from knowing who we are. We're letting go, making peace, embracing the shit that we think is separating us, that's actually longing to be, longing to be included in the fold. Any area of shadow or any knowing that, like, you know, I've shared this before, but sorry, I had to take a sip of coffee. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've shared this before, but one of the most un- important professional um, uh, journeys that I've ever gone on was understanding that I was not meant to have a store or a space. And I was so sure that I was. I was so sure that I didn't even like ask. I was just like, oh yeah, this is what's this is what's happening. Of course, everyone does it. It's the next natural step but it is not my next natural step. It was not my soul's next natural step. And I had to be taken down to the ground, like wrestled literally down to the ground to see it. Even with all my work, even with like whatever, no one's exempt from that shit. So one of my greatest gifts is getting to teach in a distance from a distance. It's one of my greatest gifts to be able to serve people all over the world with this podcast, with my Zoom classes, with my courses, um, even with my readings, and to be able to have my space, the space around my body be my own. And um, I just didn't get that, you know? And because um, that's my truth, it means that like a bunch of other things that I'd always associated with having a space, I had to let go of that. So that's like not a big deal when we think about what's going on in the world right now, like at all, it's not even a small deal, but I share it because without understanding what the ego wants and what the beliefs of the ego are, we can't actually come into the gift zone. We can't come into the place where we shine the brightest. And when we're not shining the brightest, and I mean this not in a, um, again, a love and light way. I I mean this quite in a literal way. When your soul is at its, in its root system, happily growing in its aligned place, um, we do the work we're meant to do in the world and it goes really well for us. And ever since I made that change, my life has really changed for the better in many, many, many different ways. I I'm convinced that's why, um, I moved too, after 10 years of looking for another apartment. (laughs) So, um, we're letting go shedding very quickly, um, an aspect of the shell, an aspect of the crab shell that is no longer serving us. So what might that be for you? Is it being seen? Is it recognizing that you're trying to make something work that just isn't working? How are we being invited to come up and out? And how can we welcome energies like Pluto, like Mars, like all these retrograde planets? It's a very, very powerful time and none of it's a problem. It's just a question of letting the energies pull us back in order to shoot us forward and have everything that's not meant to come with us just slide right off as we're flying through the air, essentially. So trust this. 
it's okay. And obviously, to go way deeper into specifics and your chart, look, you know, you need only to look at your favorite astrologer to get really, really clean and clear about that. But the energy of this um, eclipse is pretty strong and um, very, very intense. And the fact that we are in you know, eclipse season, we have two this month and we have another retrograde coming up, a Mercury retrograde in Leo. Um, there's a lot of transformation happening really, really quickly. So just take really good care of yourselves wherever you happen to be, but know that there's nothing to fear about where this eclipse is taking you. So that's my little contribution to the energetics of the moment. And now I would like to bring you into um, my interview with, uh, I am kind of smiling. I have wanted to interview this person. This is like a, a person like I created this podcast for basically because um, to be able to drop into conversation with her um, was such an honor and a gift. So my guest on the podcast today is the absolutely amazing Mary Elizabeth Evans of Spirit Speak Tarot. So a little bit about Mary. If you don't know her, I guarantee you, if you Google her or if you look, you know, oh, Spirit Speak Tarot, you're going to recognize her right away. And those of you who know her are probably like jumping around right now. So born in Nashville and currently residing in Joshua Tree, Mary Elizabeth Evans is an artist, a teacher, a creator, and a tarot reader. She is the creator of the Spirit Speak Tarot Deck, the Divina Tarot Deck, and the Vessel, Iris, and Road to Nowhere Oracle Decks. It was such a joy having Mary on the podcast. Mary also does so much more. She cre She's pretty much just a divine channel for any form of art you can imagine. She creates Oracle Decks, Tarot Decks. She creates clothing. She works in many different mediums. She creates jewelry. Pretty much the sky's the limit with Mary. And she's really just getting started because there's so much more that is meant to be birthed from her. So in this interview, Mary and I talked about her childhood, how she came to art and how that began to intersect with channeling and creativity we talked about how she found her first tarot deck, and we talked about the birth process of all of her different decks, which is pretty amazing and an incredible, um, something that I feel is so valuable for anyone who struggles to create, because Mary has created so many decks in such a short amount of time that it's a pretty powerful exercise in just letting the work flow through you and not questioning it or not making it too precious or too perfect or whatever. So, and there's so much more that we get into. I'm just very, very excited to share it with you. She's also creating another deck, which is to be released pretty soon. And, um, she shares some goodies about that deck with us. I have to apologize. Uh, I'm pretty embarrassed to share this, but there's, um, I had a new mic. I ha was using a new microphone stand during this interview, and there are a lot of mic bumps in this interview, and you can't really take them out in post. And I, I apologize. I really apologize for that. You're going to hear that in this interview. They might be really subtle. 
please forgive me. It it does not happen again in any other interview. Or if it does, it's it's not as egregious as it was during Mary's because I was getting used to it and um was was accidentally bonking it a little bit. <clears throat> um lightly, but touching the mic, which is not okay to do. <laughs> and uh that was like the one time I used that different stand and then stopped. So I I apologize and uh just bear with that uh, during the episode. So yeah, I'm just delighted to share this interview with Spirit Speak and I hope you love it. And I will talk to you all of you next week for our lesson on the cards. Take care until then and have a beautiful new moon. Welcome to Tarot for the Wild Soul, Deep Conversations in Tarot Medicine for Your Highest Evolution. I am so delighted to have Mary Elizabeth Evans, creator, founder, queen behind Spirit Speak Tarot with me here today. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Mary. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's my it's my joy to have you. <laughs> um, you've been someone who I've wanted to talk to for such a long time on this podcast. Um, so uh, the question I'd love to start with is, where were you born? Um, so I was born in Nashville, Tennessee. Mm. And I live, I grew up in Franklin, Tennessee, which is just 30 minutes outside of Nashville. And how was your experience um I like to ask people where they're from because I think it's a powerful um, opportunity to reflect on how tarot and mystical information is sometimes available or not available, depending on where we Mm -hmm. are raised. Um, How was your experience growing up in Tennessee? Did you have any connection to tarot or... um, like anything witchy around that time? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> that, well, I grew up in a very religious community, very Christian. Mm-hmm. And I was raised in the church as well. So witchy stuff was very evil <laughs> and looked down upon. But what I think is interesting is <clears throat> the church I grew up in was Episcopalian, which is sort of like Catholic and Christian mixed together. And there's... Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of like ritual and mysticism um, and miracle within Mm. um, that religion. So I think I never enjoyed being in the church, um, but as a child, I think I was attracted to those elements. Um, And I think it's really interesting. Like I um, definitely rejected the church and some of my early artwork once I left home was really dissecting my experience of Mm. um, not only being in the church, but being a woman in the South and um, just looking at that perspective in the church as a feminist. Um, But it's almost that I've come full circle because I've, I've come back to spirituality and some of these like ideas loosely through my work, even though it doesn't like, um, overtly connect Mm, yeah it's a very I really resonate with that in a different way because I'm not making anything so it's so it's different but I was raised like 
very devoutly Catholic, definitely in the church. And like, I was always really attracted to the mysticism of it, but had always understood myself to be a witch, even without the name. And it hasn't been until my 30s, my mid 30s, which I'm in now that I've begun to somehow revisit and appreciate aspects of the mystical nature of how of the religion that have been interesting to reabsorb in a different way. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just funny how you come full circle in that way. I I know. And how did you become introduced to tarot for the first time? I actually was gifted my first tarot deck from my older brother. And I don't know why he had a tarot deck. I actually told him about this recently and he didn't remember at all having it or giving it to me. Um, Because my family was very Christian, it wasn't something that we would have in the house. But he just walked into my room one day. I think I was maybe 12 or 13. Mm -hmm. And he's like, do you want this? Just like holding it out to him like, yeah, I think so. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> um, but I felt pretty uncomfortable having it. And so I kind of hid it away and never really looked at it for years and years and years. It was just something like in my dresser. But when I left home, I brought it with me when I was 18. And then I started, um, you know, observing it more and like looking at it and kind of, um, wanting to know more about it what was the deck that your brother gave to you it was the Rider weight cool yeah and mm-hmm. so you brought it to college and how what was your journey of and you know this word I offer it to you in a really loose way because some people it everyone's journey is as unique as they are which is why we talk about this because I think there's room and, and an embracing of hearing all the different stories and really reinforcing the fact that there definitely is never any right or wrong way to become initiated into reading. But um, I'd love to hear the journey of how you started to, let's say, quote unquote, learn. Like, do, do, were you drawn to books? Do, were you the kind of reader that just sort of read and picked it up along the way? Or was it a kind of blend of both? It was kind of a blend, yeah, a melting pot. Because I don't think I ever, I was never like, I want to be a tarot reader. I want to get really into tarot. Mm -hmm. It just kept popping back in to my life in certain ways. Um, Because I had that deck. And then um, I remember hanging up some of the cards in my room and, like, knowing nothing about them, but just wanting them around and thinking that they were beautiful. And then I later had moved into a house Um, in Olympia, Washington, with some other young women. And we were all kind of experimenting with different, like, forms of witchcraft or um, herbal medicine. And I don't think we really knew what we were doing. It just seemed like this really interesting time where we were all attracted to each other and Mm -hmm. doing this work. And so all of us were kind of, like, playing with tarot or playing with Ouija boards and it wasn't anything that we took that seriously. I think we were just exploring and having fun and discovering. And then um, when I left, I moved to Austin, Texas, and there was a woman who taught tarot at a free school. And I think it was only like one class. 
one or two classes that I went to. Um, but then I got more interested in reading cards. And when I moved to Oakland, um, there's a shop there where they had tarot salons and it was by donation and you would meet up and do little classes. Um, but during that time, I started making my own deck and then went kind of on my own study independently. So I didn't really um, have that much like education about it. It was mostly self-taught. And I feel like um, that was a really empowering way for me to learn about the cards. And that's certainly something that I've tried to hand to others through either teaching or through my deck is kind of putting your own spin on it Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, developing your own way, your own understanding of the cards. So amazing. And how it happened. (laughs) I love it. It's such a great story. And, and again, so affirming uh, to people, to anyone who's listening to this and feels like they need to get like certified or something. And you really don't, (laughs) you know, like it's no, yeah, absolutely not. No, Uh, that's something I feel really strongly about because I felt that way. And I remember feeling really uncomfortable reading cards as if I was some kind of phony, like, Oh my God, I'm going to be found out. Like, (laughs) I don't know how to do this. And always having my, like my book with me so that I could look everything up to confirm. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I think is so important to to know, and I think it takes time to actually feel confirmed in knowing this, is that everyone, you know, has the ability of intuition and to seek these types of information. And the cards are just a tool to get you there. They're, they're just helping you with what you are already doing and knowing um, and helping you to enhance that. But I think it's hard to take that authority um, right away. So amazing. And could not give it more of a fuck yes, especially because (laughs) it it really demystified. Like what you said is so important in another way, I think, because it's so important to, and I say this with immense reverence, but to demystify the role of the reader too. It's like the reader is only... Mm -hmm. At, at least for me, reflecting back to the querent or the friend or the client that we're pulling cards for, what might be in them that might not be clear to them. It's not like some right. giant seeing into that they're not able to. It's really an affirmation and a confirmation, and it can go into some incredible places, as you know, as a reader mm-hmm. and a teacher and yeah. a creator. But um, it's so... Um, I do feel like really mother hen like when I hear about people who've had really damaging experiences with readers or who like mm-hmm. assume I know everything about them. I'm like, girl, I don't I don't know anything <laughs> about me even. <laughs> like yeah. it, it really is this relationship and I love your mm-hmm. I love how passionate you are about that. I think it's just I really feel like it's so important, you know. Yeah. I, I think it's really important too. Yeah. And I, I, when I first started reading, I feel like I definitely had to work a lot on demystifying like my experience with them. Like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to tell you where your first born child 
their name and like all of this it's like I'm only going to tell you what you already know and everyone after leaving because I would get a lot of first time um people who had never had their cards read before and they're like that was like a therapy session and I'm like Mm. yeah it's not anything that you don't already know it's just like us I'm lending space for you so that we can try and like figure out your next best step together and I think that's one of the most positive things you know knowing your future isn't really going to help you if you don't know your next step hell yeah and you know your guidebook I'm like a I'm a geek for guidebooks and there are some times when I'll (laughs) purchase a deck just to really like literally sit down and read a guidebook because um, I, I know that's kind of bizarre, but I love it because, um, I love peering into seeing it. It's just, um, from, from myself as reader and as any, you know, when I used to teach like people privately, I would, and they were working with a deck. I used to like buy it and read the guidebook and I know your guidebook very well. It's, it's phenomenal. Uh-huh. And yeah, and it used to be one that I would recommend to people when I was teaching and still do. Um, I teach differently now, but used to recommend it because of the intelligence and the the um, real generosity of the of the guidebook, which I think is like the make or break. Oh, thank and you. Yeah, you're welcome. And so anyway, a long, long way to say that everything you're saying and our conversation, I, I find is just so deeply reflected in your work and in your offerings. That's great. Oh, thank you. You're that welcome. means so much that you feel that way. Yeah, I really do. It's so it's a gift and thank you for doing it. So oh, thank you. Um, I feel like a little silly asking this, but I'm gonna just let myself be vulnerable. <laughs> um, <laughs> um your relationship with art. So you're such a magnificent artist. I assume it's just like you could always draw. You you were always as creative as you were. Um, what was your journey like growing up in Franklin, Tennessee? Like what was that journey from someone who grew up in the church and someone who was exposed to like, cause you know, I mentioned this before we started recording that your, your drawings are, very clearly like channeled especially like an iris and in vessel like it's very high Mm. so I assume feel free to correct me that you've always been connected to your artistry and your creativity in some capacity but I'm just curious um Mm. when did you begin to discover maybe even totally subconsciously the intersection between spiritual um I guess contact spiritual connection and your art mm-hmm. yeah good question <laughs> I have always wanted to make marks and <clears throat> like I drew all over the walls constantly <laughs> which was like a huge problem for my mom or I drew on the furniture, I drew on my baby doll's head, and it wasn't like I was drawing anything, but I always had, like, this urge within to make marks, and I think it's been a way for me to communicate ever since I was very small, um, and I, and I do... 
because I, I feel like as far as my journey as a human being, I, I lacked in other categories of like communicating as far as traditional education. I struggled a lot. And so, um, it seemed like drawing was always my way to kind of say what I was, what was coming through, but I don't think I recognized that connection. Um, until like much later and I think that's the gift of making the decks because I think that was when I first saw like oh I'm not just communicating like my feelings and like me and (laughs) what I'm going through like there's something else I'm tapping into um uh, that I'm receiving and Mm. working with and um that was I think that has been one of the most beautiful gifts um, from making the decks, I'm so grateful that I've had this experience um, because I think ultimately it kind of killed off my insecurity as an artist because my artwork is naive and doodly and like fun and wiggly. It's not traditionally like good drawing. Um, and I think I struggled with that for a long time being just like wanting to be in the art world so badly from a really young age and feeling like I didn't make beautiful art. And Mm. the first time I ever felt like that didn't matter was when I started making my first deck because it wasn't about, you know, making like something that someone wanted to hang on their wall. doesn't matter. Like, can they look at it and understand what it means? Cause that's the point. So working with creating a tool was the first time I ever felt that way. And that was really the most powerful like one of my most powerful life experiences in general was, was feeling that. Oh man, that's so powerful. And like, isn't that so, it, it's just, I don't know, you're blowing my mind with this conversation. <laughs> it's just like, I loved, I just love everything you just said. And isn't it so true that the stuff that we mourn and bemoan and feel like doesn't fit once we find the right shoe it clicks so perfectly you know what I mean like because yeah. yeah that's beautiful I love hearing that art I love was... that analogy oh that's great yeah like I love hearing I love imagining you as like a really young young person like a kid like drawing on your baby doll's heads that make brings deep joy to me I will say <laughs> it's beautiful um so spirit speak that was your first step right yes yeah can you describe like what what was the moment maybe there was none like a moment but was there a moment when you said to yourself like I'm making a tarot deck sort of it happened in a way where it wasn't exactly planned like I wasn't like I'm gonna make a tarot deck I'm gonna publish it I'm gonna distribute it and this is gonna be my thing I actually had a friend approach me about doing a group art show that was focused on tarot and um, it was booked like four, five, six months in advance. I can't remember. It was like quite a while Mm -hmm. in advance and I was like, okay, yeah, that sounds great. I'm into tarot. I've been learning about it. I would love to make some images of the cards. And I, when I was planning out what I was doing for the show, I was like, because I make art really fast. <laughs> and so I was like, wow, I can make like a lot of tarot, tarot cards by then. And I was like, whoa, can I do the whole thing? And it was very like low pressure because 
I wasn't like, hey, everyone, I'm making a tarot deck. I was like, ah, no one knows about this show. It was just like at totally. a boutique, so it wasn't at like a gallery or anything. And I was just, you know, I was like, okay, well, I'll just try. And then if I don't make it to finish, then whatever. I made some art for a show, and that's great, too. And then I ended up um, getting really, really involved. And at the same time, when that show happened, I had just become sober for the first time. Um, and so I was, I think I was 20, 23 or 24 when I started. And, um, so being that like young age where drinking was definitely part of socializing, it changed the social dynamic and, uh, how I spent my time. So it all aligned in this really interesting way where I felt a lot of like social loss. Like I didn't really mm. have access to, participate in things uh, my age group were doing so the deck kind of came in and then I was like oh well I have all this extra time where I'm not really doing much so that you know it was easy to spend a lot of time going to the study and, and doing the deck at the time wow that's amazing and how how long did it take you like from start to finish to complete it I think for the drawings, it was four months, but then... Oh, that is fast. Uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. I work pretty fast, and I work awesome. on a really... I love schedules. Like, I love having a schedule for my art, which is something people are always like, what? And I don't think it works for every artist, but for me, it allows me to feel free if I have this, like, kind of strict schedule because I know when everything needs to get done, so I'm not worried about um, the vastness of what I can create. I'm just like, all right, well, it's got to get done. So here's my time to, to do it. Um, but after doing the images, it took a while to figure out exactly how to make them in a deck. And I hadn't even thought I would make them into a deck, like an actual physical deck. I thought maybe like maybe one copy for myself. Mm. Um, but a friend who owned a shop had approached me about selling them. And I was like, oh, I guess I could do, I guess I could figure that out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so then I went on that process of trying to make it, you know, tangible for others to work with. Wow. And so I have, I have, I have questions and inquiries. So when you create <laughs> your decks, do you go in with an idea of like, let's say for example, because I think that question is different if we're considering like one of the, one of your vessel images versus, um, I don't know whether it's, div it's Divina, right? Is that how you say it? Divina. Or Divina. Thank you. Whether it's mm -hmm. something, yeah. whether it's something in spirit speak or, or Divina, like, do you go in saying to yourself, okay, this is my six of pentacles. This is what I see. And this is what I'm going to draw. Or do you sit down and open and just go, okay, this is what I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. Like, let me roll with this. It's definitely more open. Yeah. I don't, Wow. you should see my like pre drawings. Cause sometimes I'll like sketch it out a little bit beforehand, but it literally looks like, like a first grader drawing <laughs> and it's, mainly like figuring out where things are going to be spaced but yeah I pretty much um you know with doing a tarot deck it's like it's all there already all the information yeah. so I kind of sit down and I'm like 
I think about the card and how it makes me feel or like what I would like people to know about it. And it's interesting because each deck that I've made, I feel differently about what I want to say about that archetype. Um, but then I kind of just ask for images to happen or I just like roll with what comes up for me. And decks like Iris was even like more so uh, freeform because, and, and very intuitive because I didn't have that um, traditional setup of the tarot. It was just like, give me an image. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what's coming to me? And then dissecting it later. Mm. Amazing. So you create your art. So in the case of something like Iris or Vessel, like you would, you open your channel, whatever comes, comes. And then later you go back and you decode it. Yeah. yeah. That's really amazing. <laughs> like I'm so, <laughs> may I ask your astrological sign? Yeah, I am a Gemini, but I'm on the cusp of Taurus. And I have a Libra rising and a Taurus moon. I'm into it. That's great. That's great. <laughs> I feel like that's the perfect blend of groundedness and rooting and the fixed schedule makes so much sense. But also like everything you're describing is like the height and the mastery of, of air signs. It's so powerful. It's great. <laughs> so the original deck that you created, you you then um, for Spirit Speak Tarot, you came out with that beautiful version where the colors were inverted and it was black with white lines. And um, but the first one I know was white with black lines. So, what was your mm-hmm. process in your journey with actually publishing it? Like, what was that like for you? Um, challenging. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. There wasn't really a model for me to follow. Um, So I was kind of just um, flailing for a while. And I actually almost gave up at one point because it was just challenging to find the right printer. Um, And it wasn't like a high stakes thing for me. It wasn't like, oh, I told everyone I was going to carry back. I have to publish it. It was just like, oh, well, I'm trying, and if it's not working out, then it's not working out, and maybe I should just give up and do something else. Um, But I did finally end up figuring out the printing. But after that, I was not anticipating it becoming a business for me, (laughs) which was a surprise (laughs) at the time. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then that has been a giant uh, learning lesson in its own that, you know, came along with. Mm. And then were you surprised at how unbelievably popular it was and has been? Yeah, absolutely. Like shocked. Mm. Um, it, <laughs> it was pretty, uh, it was like, yeah. And it still is amazing. It's still amazing. Anytime, anytime I hear anyone like tell me, how they feel about my work or that it's helped them in any kind of way. I'm just like, wow, it still is pretty phenomenal to me um, that it has reached people. Um, And I did not expect that to happen. You know, I was just doing an art project. Wow. Incredible. (laughs) It's like amazing. So you publish your deck 
it's like huge. You're one of the first people to, I mean, like, I think in, in the current, um, community and by community, I mean, anyone who's working, publishing, reading right now, I feel like you were one of the first to, to kind of just do it on your own. And since then there's been an explosion of people who are now getting their decks published, which is, it's great, but I consider you to be definitely one of the trailblazers in that way in the last like five years or so. And, um, and it's not even a consideration. It's like a fact, (laughs) you know, but like, (laughs) um, so you created this, you're doing spirit speak. It's open. You're open. Where does Vessel come in? Because Vessel was your second deck, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yes, yeah. yeah. It was interesting because after I mean Spirit Speaking published it, I felt it was a huge life change for me because then also I started reading publicly. I'd mm-hmm. never done that before. And I started teaching and I was just like wanted more of I wanted to learn more and I wanted to do more in that area of my life. And I knew as soon as I published it and like released it out into the world, I want to do another one. I want to do another tarot deck, Mm. but I was also exhausted. And so I wasn't going to make another tarot deck right then. And I had been working a lot with Doreen Virtue uh, Oracle decks because I had been so deep into tarot and sometimes it can get heavy. I think anyone who reads tarot knows like sometimes you got to take a step back um, when you get really deep or you're working with it a lot. Um, And I used the Oracle cards in readings to kind of soften things or to give like, I wanted more emotional context to the cards because sometimes my cards would just hand me really um, important advice and really practical advice or like they would just hand it to me how it is. Like I feel like spirit, the Spirit Speak deck has a little bit of like a staff and like, mm-hmm. it's like beautiful. No, no, no bullshit attitude. Yeah. And uh, working with that, I was just like, geez, can you give me a break? Like I just <laughs> need like, a hug or something. Like, so I started using the Doreen Virtue decks like on the side to be like, a nice affirmation and then um so that kind of links up at the time of like I would love to make an accompanying like heart to this like a little softness Mm. and then that's um when I started working on vessel Mm, I'm here for it and and it so reflects that because it's such a different it's a totally different but it's still you but it's a completely different Mm -hmm. vibe than um tarot and I and I deeply identify with the Sometimes it's just like the need to shift gears and try something different um, mm-hmm. when there's been an overabundance of tarot is so real. <laughs> so it makes total sense. Um, and what was the creation and birth process like for you with this one? With Bethel? Mm-hmm. Um, it was a little different because I didn't have that setup of the tarot so I kind of just thought about um emotional themes that I wanted to explore and now looking at it I'm like I could have gone on and on and on um and done so many other different themes but I kind of wanted to keep it short and so I think when I made that deck I had like a list of themes that I wanted to work with and so I would just in the same kind of way like look at the theme and then like let that 
image come to me. Amazing. It's beautiful. And then I think if my memory serves me correctly, well, actually I'll ask you because I'm not sure if it does serve me correctly. <laughs> Did you come out? I, I feel like Iris came next and then the inf- um, then the shifted color version of Spirit Speak or was it the other way around? Oh, wow. I actually don't know. I don't know. I don't remember uh, when My, I'd have to look back. I feel like as a fan, because I am, um, I remember like losing my mind when Iris came out, as did everyone. I feel like it was like someone's <laughs> album dropping. Like it was, do you recall that as being like the most anticipated piece project you put out? I felt like there was explosions for Iris before and during, or did it feel like the same? Interesting. I did, it did feel different, but I don't know if it felt anticipated on my end, but it, like it felt like a huge release. Like I, mm. I've really been in my personal life building up a lot that I needed to discuss with myself and like let out, um, and a lot of changes and transition. And so I feel like the energy that I was putting into that deck, um, was a lot mm. and, um, but very natural. Like it didn't feel labored in that way. Cause I just had all this that I was like trying to, get out so releasing it it felt like a huge like just opening for me I have no doubt because to experience it like opening up the box it was kind of like the only thing that I can really liken like experiencing Iris to as a as a person like an open person ready to feel the medicine of it was a little bit like um I don't know. Do you know, like, the, um, any classical music, piece of classical music that has different movements in it? Like, any, pretty much anything, like Firebird or Rite of Spring or whatever. Like, it felt like there were very clear chapters of Iris that built mm-hmm. on top of one another, whether it was conscious or unconscious on your part, I don't know. But it was, and it was so rich. Like there were so many cards for an Oracle deck that it just felt really momentous, like really huge. Um, mm-hmm. Iris is so special. Really big. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. And it's definitely the, okay. <laughs> no, you go ahead. I was just going to say, it's definitely the one that feels like the truest to the inside of me. Like it mm. feels like out of all the decks that I've made, even decks after the Iris has been, the like the best I've done at like kind of describing or like actually mm. communicating what goes on <laughs> inside, inside my your mind. head. <laughs> well, <laughs> we're, it's a beautiful place to live then. And we're very, all very lucky to have it. It's great. Um, so was there, what, what happened if you can recall? And I, I feel like, and I'm sorry that I'm not more up on my shit, um, in terms of an interviewer oh. and a researcher, but I'm <laughs> fairly sure that Iris and the Black Spirit Speak came out pretty quickly after one another. Like, I think I remember mm-hmm. they they came out close, right? And I can't remember which came out before, but closer yeah, to one another, I didn't think they? they might have. Yeah, I think so. Because I do remember all, because I was in Tennessee 
um, where they get to see when I publish Iris. And then I also, I remember the way that I, I decided I was going to make the reverse deck was I was at my best friend's house in Tennessee and I had accidentally put my phone on reverse color settings. <laughs> it was like a very non-spiritual finding of like, how I'm going to make this deck. But I was like, oh my God, look at that. It's like, this is a totally new world. And I was like, I wonder if I could make that. So it must have been uh, around the same time. Mm. Yeah. And then, so how was the experience that you went through after Iris? Like, what was your, how was your nervous system in your body? Because it was around mm. then that, oh no, I think I'm, I think I'm like way off actually. I was going to say it was around then that you moved, but I think there was still quite a while, right? Um, I moved a lot that year because I had left Oakland, which had been my home for four years. Mm. Um, and moved back in with my parents in Tennessee for, I was going to school, um, to be a bench jeweler actually. And, um, that's when I, when I moved there, I started making Iris and I lived there, I think for like six months. And then I moved to Seattle after. Nice. Um, so it was, I published it right, like, I guess a little while before I had moved to Seattle. Do you, you self-publish your decks, right? Yes. I do everything myself pretty much. (laughs) Have you experienced, do you work with different publishers or has there always been just like one that you've loved? Work with one printer that I've worked with pretty much. I switched printers once in the beginning, but I work with one printer who I really love and I've followed her to different companies. So we have a really nice relationship and we like, send each other like gifts (laughs) and Mm. um they have a really like very casual um loving relationship and so I pretty much worked with her the whole time um love it yeah love it that's great so Davina what was the creation of that life it's funny because I feel like that was almost like a little bit of a trickster energy for me mm. because I had published Iris and then it just felt so good to release all of that mm-hmm. and kind of be, not be free because it wasn't like the project was hindering on me anyways, but just like express all of that that was inside of me um, that I was almost like on this kind of like high and was like, what if I just kept going? <laughs> What if I just kept going and, like, made another deck? I think it had also, it was sprouted from the reverse deck coming out, thinking about it now, because people kept, when I published the reverse deck, I wasn't printing the original, and it's just a matter of, like, I fund everything myself, so I can't always have, you know, all, like, every, I couldn't publish both at that time financially. And people are sending me tons of emails, like, when is the original going to be back? I want to see the one with the white background. And too bad. So (laughs) I can't right now. Cannot do it all. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, but I was like, you know, I can't do that. And I still had so much stock of the reverse edition, Mm. but I was like, what if I kind of made like a sister deck to this, that was a little bit different, almost like a sequel to the spirit speak. And, um, I'm glad that I did because I think I kind of see each deck that has come out as 
a portrait of like my spirituality at that time. Mm-hmm. So whereas Spirit Speak is like a little bit more sassy and edgy, when I made Davina, it's like a lot softer and like gentle and yeah. more like angelic, at least from my perspective. Totally. It is. Um, so, and I, I find that there's certain um, people just like in my personal life who are attracted to that deck um, because of that, because of it's like more soft energy. So that's kind of how that one came about. It's mm, great. And how has your relationship with the tarot changed through the course of making these decks? <laughs> like, have you absorbed have your opinions changed on what cards mean like that kind of thing yeah I think my opinions are always changing about the cards like I it's kind of amazing that it continues to form and um yeah with each deck I make I think differently about the practice of reading cards and also there are different meanings, but it's not that one is given and one is taken away. It's not that my opinion changes about them. It's like, it's added to like every time I work with a new deck that someone else has made, um, I'm just like, Oh wow. They think about it that way. That's so interesting that they think that this card for them, this card is like this meaning. And instead of replacing it, it just adds to my meaning. Like, the context of when I'm reading for someone else, I have this whole kind of um, dictionary of that archetype versus just like its original traditional sense or meaning. Love it. Love it. And that's, it's beautiful. The description of that. And I love that there's this like through making your art and honoring this beautiful call to create these these vessels um I love that it just continues to help your relationship with the tarot as reader and as person evolve it's really exciting um so I know because you told me before this interview and you gave me the permission to bring it up (laughs) that you just finished your next tarot deck yes I did and and with because you gave me permission to bring it up, I would love to ask you to tell us a little bit about it and when we can purchase it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it won't be out until the winter, at least. I like um, it. <laughs> and it's one of the last decks I'm going to make for at least a couple of years. Um, I plan to do some other artistic ventures moving forward. Um exploring some other areas but this deck um I feel it's almost like my thesis like I've been working on this project of making decks for four I guess maybe almost five years now and um exploring and trying different things and this project really felt to me like I was wrapping up kind of like what I have what I have learned from my you know, doing all these projects. Mm-hmm. Um, it was one of the most challenging decks I've made. I don't think I've ever felt so challenged um, making a deck. And I think part of it was that sort of energy of, you know, 
making it my thesis and and really saying what I want to say and also this idea that I won't be making decks for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and I was on a very, I made a very strict deadline for myself that became challenging. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the deck itself, the originals are, I think, like 14 by 17 paintings. Wow. And they're all very different. Um, it's almost like, the images themselves have sort of like um, a quiet, loud quiet mm. as far as like the way that the images are placed and the colors. Um, I don't know. I it's I haven't because I haven't seen it like in my hands as its form in cards. Mm. I feel like I'll have so much more to say about it when I can have that relationship yeah. with it. Um, but I'm really, I'm very excited to share because I feel very, even though this one has been challenging to create, I'm very proud of it. That's so exciting, Mary. I cannot wait. (laughs) I can't wait. I, yeah, I want to, I would love to know what you think of it. (laughs) Oh, I'll be shouting it to the rooftops. You know, I've been like, so embarrassing. Like I'm very clear about my love for your work. So don't worry about that. Um, Oh, that's so exciting. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. I know that everyone listening to this is just flipping out. And if they, even if they didn't know you before this interview, which seems a little impossible, but I know that they're, you know, you never know. And I'm sure everyone is so excited. It's just I'm so pumped. Um, oh, <laughs> thank you. Of course. And, and um, yeah, I know that you moved to Joshua Tree, and it seems to be a really mm-hmm. deep soul homestead for you. Like, it seems that it's mm-hmm. great and you love it. Has that started to inspire the call away from tarot for a little while into kind of different forms of expression? Yeah, it's interesting. Well, I, first of all, I love living out here. <laughs> I love <laughs> Josh Street. It's been a really great place for me to work um, and find peace. But mm-hmm. I anticipated when I moved here that I was going to be doing all these psychic studies, was super deep. And I think in a way, being out here and having all the space and being in this rural environment, I am doing that work personally for myself. But instead of, um, you know, diving deeper into my metaphysical studies, I actually have been kind of called to do um, other work. I've been teaching myself how to sew, and I've been being called to get back into oil painting, which is one of my first loves. And so currently, where I'm at talking to you today, I'm just playing with different mediums, but I'm kind of dipping my toes into how do they all connect and how do I make these other objects um, with a similar intention, I guess. Oh, I love that. That's lovely. That's so great. And the expansion, like if and when you ever do come back to tarot after that, I feel like it's just going to be even more rich and different, you know, different ways of not that you're walking away, but the next time you're called to make a deck, if you are, I feel like it'll be, um, 
so deeply influenced by all of that, which is great. Um, so we're at the point in our interview that I ask my guests on the podcast. Um, what card do you currently feel like you're doing a little orbit around or transiting through or experiencing right now? And mm -hmm. yeah. Well, the other day I pulled the tower card, mm -hmm. which I don't love to always <laughs> see. And of course, like when I pull that card, a lot of times I'm just like, oh, I don't know what that's about. Maybe it's not true. <laughs> like put it back <laughs> into the deck. And it's not that I want to add to this opinion that the tower card is bad because everyone sees it. And they're like, oh, no, the tower. And I'm like, no, no, it's not like that. But of course, like maybe I'm a little bit hypocritical there because when I pull it, I'm like, Oh man, it's just for me, you know, deep work and it is this major arcana card. So it's like, you know, sinking in there in my path. But, um, I've been thinking about the card since pulling it. And I think with my change in direction artistically, um, even though it's really fun and exciting, it's also sort of like, part of this I built this whole thing and then it's like you know it's not crumbling down but I'm like starting from the ground again with something new and um, just like the shifting in that way I feel like I'm making friends with the tower again <laughs> oh that's beautiful yeah it's one of those it, it is for sure one of those cards that I don't think the it's like the ground never really stops moving under it in terms of mm -hmm. our work with it. So mm -hmm. I love hearing both that you're kind of in a little tower season and that it feels welcome to you. That's great. Mm -hmm. um, do you have a favorite card particularly? That's a really hard question. I don't think, I think it changes all the time for me. Um, because I feel like I've answered that question and every time it's been different. So I don't think I actually have a favorite card, but there are certain cards that I will work with for like an entire year or more mm. sometimes. But, but right now I've been working with a justice card this year. Mm. And yeah, so maybe not like my, it's definitely not my favorite card, <laughs> but it's one that I feel really like, can do right now oh, that's great and what are you I mean this has for sure been uh like what, what I mean I knew that we were going into like a high priestess strength justice here where we are like really in <laughs> we are deeply <laughs> yeah. in a justice here what what have you gained like what is justice to you um it's so interesting like so because last year we were working with the Wheel of Fortune mm -hmm. and I felt so much of that and like just all the changes that happen and particularly like within um, our like political system, just the Wheel of Fortune like spinning and just landing and it's like, here's what, here's what you go with yeah. and thinking more about, you know, your reactions, like you don't have power necessarily over destiny, but you do have power over your actions. And so mm. It's interesting moving into the justice year of like rebalancing the scales and and kind of 
coming from that really humble place of working with what you have been handed into like the more, I think about justice a lot as like capital, like N-O or capital like Y-E-S card of making very clear decisions on where you stand and really being attuned to your moral code and like what you, just what you believe to be best for yourself and for the world. And I always think about the justice in the court of law, because that's the most traditional archetype that's tied to that card. And, you know, they're hearing both of these really convincing sides of an argument because both sides, you know, there's a lot weighing on the line for those people in the court of law. And the justice has a really challenging job to like, look at the facts, like, you know, Mm -hmm. be very practical with their mind, look at the facts and then also decide what, what's best for something that's not even just about them, but that's about, you know, how their decisions affect everything around them. Um, And so I've been doing like a lot of boundary work this year um, and thinking about my actions and how they affect the world around me and also just really trying to uh, be aligned with like my clarity and, and mm. being very clear about what I believe in and, you know, the direction I want to take myself in and, and what I want that to do for the world around me. So it's been an interesting year. <laughs> yeah, it has. And thank you for your words on that. Very beautiful. Um, and on that note, I think, you know, has there been a card for you? And I feel like this is really, I'm so excited to hear your answer to this. Cause maybe it's like, there is none, um, as a maker of, of tarot decks and as a channeler of the, of art, you know, of actually the actual artistic interpretations of them. Has there been a card for you that has been kind of your, a coyote, so to speak, that has eluded you or been challenging or it's like you understand it, but you also kind of like don't understand it. Do you have one of those? Yes, absolutely. I have two actually. Oh, I'd love to hear about them. <laughs> that are almost like my problem children. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm, I'm moving along and I'm like, oh yeah, death. Mm, no, exactly what to say about this. Here I go. And then I always run into, um, the hangman and temperance mm. are the ones where I'm always like, oh, wait a second. And I think I get that block because for me, there's a block as far as those um, cards acting in my life or like mm. the way that I interact with those energies. And, and I think there's a, there's a tie between the two of them because there's a little bit of quiet stillness yeah. and and to me, I would say stagnation, although that would be like the negative <laughs> word to describe both of them. <laughs> but there's like that stillness that I have a real problem sitting with. And so I think I come up to a block in making those cards because they're like, uh, 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 you're not just going <laughs> to blow past us and just make art about us. Like, you're going to have to sit with this yeah. and think about it and think about what it means to you. And so... Mm-hmm. Those have been really good teachers for me and still teaching me all the time. But those cards are just like so important to me. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like they'll be like teaching me lessons forever. <laughs> probably. Totally. Oh, I, I Thank you for sharing that. I, just, I feel like it's so important and 
you know, can sometimes feel vulnerable to share like, hey, this is my area and I've got them too. Everybody's got them 100%. Oh, yeah. um, Yeah, temperance is like no joke. That's really one that even Mm -hmm. teaching it, it's like you can know it, but it's so hard. It really has to be lived to to get Mm -hmm. it. And even when you get it, you still don't, at least for me, I feel like I'm still totally learning about temperance with a beginner's mind. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's really no joke that one. It's a hard one. It's a really hard one to get. And it's one that I just like would skip over a lot when I was first learning. I had someone told me something interesting that really helped me with temperance, Mm -hmm. um, which was about gender of the, the angel in the temperance card is like neither gender and I think about that a lot as far as like non-binary and how yeah. these themes of non-binary are coming up in the world. And so a lot of times when people pull the Timbers card, I think about that of like, we need you. Like we mm. need you to be neither. We need you to temper us with walking the edge, you know? And so that's an idea that's really helped me with temperance to understand like that our world thinks very black and white and we need these temperance angels to help us and if temperance is coming up for you it could be that you need that tempering like you need to not be so strict (laughs) with Mm -hmm. what things are wow hell yes what wisdom whoa like super wise. That's beautiful. And well, it didn't quite come all the way from me. It came from mm, another tarot reader. No, just like, <laughs> just totally <laughs> honoring that wisdom of, of who passed it along to you because mm-hmm. it's so, um, like that really hits me right in the heart. You know, there's such truth to that, I think. And so much work to be done there. Um, what, if any card, has always been, um, you know, we talked about kind of problem children. What has been like your golden child? Do you have a golden child that you just really mm-hmm. love to work with and create with and be in? Um, good question. I think there's a few and they're very like classic, I think traditional, like people love to see cards. Um, but the nine pentacles Hell is yeah. one that I, of course, <laughs> love to see. Um, and also I, I work a lot with the queen of pentacles and it's not about like this, like making money, queen of pentacles, like luxury, lush. But I think of her more as like a good example of capitalism because I do own a business and I can't avoid that. And it's something that I have to think about every day. And the queen of pentacles does manifest finances and the material, but she is also a mother and water and she uses so much of her access to abundance to give to others and take people in and really be generous. And I think she's a really positive model for how we work within capitalism of like getting more so that you can bring more people in and, and care for them or share with them. And so I have her like on my work altar a lot. Oh, 
I love it. That's, I love it. It's beautiful. She's such a good one. Mm-hmm. Such a good one. Um, well, you know, the last question I want to ask you is sort of not tarot related at all. It's related to your jewelry and the yeah. clothing that you make. So you make mm-hmm. um, super epic, gorgeous adornment and you make these beautiful you've been making beautiful t-shirts beautiful items of clothing um how how long has it been that you've been creating well I know you went to school to do jewelry um not that long ago and you were probably doing a form of it before too um is that becoming um you were mentioning you were learning how to sew is that becoming sort of the desired artistic expression now that tarot is taking a little break for you? Yeah, it's really interesting. It's almost like a second full circle for me Mm. because when I, I always loved to sew. I remember my, one of my best friends in kindergarten, her mom taught me how to make little pillows, like hand sew little pillows. And so I would like, I I was just like, oh my God, you can do this. (laughs) I like had never used a sewing needle before. And so I was like loving to make little pillows. I would steal my mom's uh, linens and make like dresses for my dolls and things like that. And um, I got a sewing machine when I was in middle school and I started making my own clothes, but I didn't have any teaching. Like my mom didn't really know, she knew how to mend, but she didn't know how to sew. Um, so I taught myself a lot and I actually really wanted to pursue fashion, but I was embarrassed about it. Um, I felt that it was like superficial. I remember having this notebook where I like kept all these kinds of like cutouts from magazines and things I liked, but I hid it under my bed, <laughs> like oh, wow. my fashion thing. And I also felt really intimidated by the industry itself. And I think um, there's so many people now that have done the work for me where I feel comfortable pursuing it because when I was younger it it seemed like you could only really work for these like big brands and small brands weren't really I mean I'm sure they were a thing but they weren't as openly accessible as they are today and so um it was one of my first loves that I kind of I've always like tailored and mended things um but didn't, you know, pursue fashion until recently. And I think, um, you know, all those small brands that have kind of like done that groundwork to look at it in a different way, I really appreciate because um, being pulled to this desire, it's really interesting with the fashion industry being like one of the most destructive industries on planet Earth. (laughs) So how do I do this thing that I love and enjoy doing and, and make it, and make it work and not be destructive and make it meaningful and get a ritual and, um, give it a real like honor and importance. So I'm definitely just in the beginning stages of figuring that out for myself, but I know deep down that there's like some type of there's some sort of aha like moment for me as far as like, why am I being pulled in this direction at this time? But it is really fun. Like right now I'm, I'm just reteaching myself kind of how to sew from using old patterns. And um, I've dedicated the first year to sewing. I've just like to not 
sell my garments that I'm making and mm-hmm. I'm just making clothes for myself and just like kind of learning what that feels like mm-hmm. um, before I pursue anything else in that direction. Well, I love it. And it's been beautiful to see um, the different incarnations of your creativity and like the pieces you're making are like beyond because <laughs> I have seen them on Instagram oh, and they are beautiful. You. Um, thank you for sharing about that. I just think it's, it's powerful to hear. Um, so Mary, where can people find you? Um, you can find me on Instagram. My Instagram is at spirit.speak. And also on my website, which is www.spirit-speak. Beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. This was such a dream to have you. Oh, thank you for having me. It's so nice to talk to you and make this connection. I know, finally, after so long. (laughs) 